Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. So uh, we are kicking off a series on Colossians this morning, and uh, it's, it's great. And even as I am reading it, preparing it, getting, getting into Colossians, uh, just reminded that we could spend a week almost on every verse of the book of Colossians. It is just, everything is powerful, it's significant, and yet I don't, I don't want to be in this four-chapter book for the next four years. You know what I'm saying? So we're going we're gonna to move through it quickly, and, and as such, I, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to have someone come up and read the portion that we were going to be reading for the day. And it's kind of old school, maybe a little more liturgical feeling if you're familiar with that kind of setting. Uh, But really what we would have seen, like Paul wrote this letter to the church in a town called Colossae. And when he would have written that letter and the the guy would have brought it back to that church, uh, the church would have gathered up and it would have been read aloud for all to hear. Not everyone was literate. Not everyone was able to read on their own. And so this kind of like oral process of, of, passing down information was common in that time. And so I've asked Isaac and Serena Terrell if they'd read our first, path, our first chunk of Colossians for us this morning. And I thought what would be great is if you all could stand and, and we would just kind of honor the reading of God's word by positioning our body in a way that says we are reverent and respectful of him. Amen? Amen. So they're going to come on up and read for us. Good morning. Danny, good morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, guys. Amen. Thank you, Terrells. Love you guys. All right, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Um... So yeah, hey, my name's Austin. I don't know if I've met all of you, but I'm the pastor here at Good Shepherd Church. And uh, like we just said, we're going to kick off this series in Colossians. And, and uh, 
you might think, okay, wait, we're just going from, from this kind of like topical series, according to Spirit, down to a verse-by-verse study. Uh, I love verse-by-verse studies uh, because I think then we get the, the full weight of what someone's trying to communicate in a letter. And so to understand the book of Colossians well, I really do think that we have to understand a couple different things contextually of what's happening at this time. You have to understand what's happening in Colossae, and you have to also ha- understand what's happening in Rome. So we'll start with Rome because Rome at this point, when Paul is writing this letter, is a global superpower. I mean, they are, they are huge. Um, just to kind of put it in perspective, America is turning 245 years old this July 2nd. Technically, we'll celebrate on the 4th. Those of you who actually like understand when the Declaration of Independence was signed, you will know what I mean. But um, 245 years. Uh, Rome, Rome spanned 1,500 years in its rule and reign. So we are still in diapers, my friends. Like we are, our country is still young. We are still new. Um, and Rome really like had a lot of things that, that it did as an empire that still affects the world that we live in. One of those things um, is roads. It's as simple as roads. The Roman road, like all roads lead to Rome. That's this idea that like Rome really, uh, maybe they didn't invent the road, but they certainly proliferated it around the world. Some of those roads are still in use today. Come on, my like civil engineer friends who are building stuff today, like, man, we, I don't know if we can get this right. You know, they're, they're building roads that are lasting 2,000 years, still in use to this day. I'm just not sure we build stuff like that anymore. You know what I'm saying? But in this building of roads, what happens is uh, this word syncretism, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go on, but all of a sudden now, uh, towns that were too far apart to really access by foot are now all of a sudden accessible. And so what you're getting is this blending and amalgamating of different cultures and different ways of living in different different towns over. It's, uh, if, if you'll if like entertain me for just a second, anyone familiar with the town Radiator Springs? <laughs> From Cars right? The Disney movie from Cars. Yeah, you know, like the, the, the premise in that movie is like, it's this like shrinking, dying town full of weirdos and they're all cars, you know what I mean? Like, and why? Because this freeway had been built not too far away. And so this, this kind of like old timey vibe where you would, you would drive through and you'd go see every town on your way through a road trip. Well, now we just take interstates because we just go, what's the quickest to A to B? Colossae is actually like it was one of those towns that was a casualty because of a road that had been built uh, from two neighboring cities. And so um, in Rome, there's these roads that are going on. It's, it's kind of blending and pulling all these cultures together. But this town that we're going to be reading about that this letter is to has, has kind of shrunk. It's past its heyday because it's off the beaten path just a little bit. And so that's something that's happening in Colossae. The other thing that's happening in Rome just in general is you have this, this Pax Romana, uh, Roman peace. Uh, it, it's one of the empires that's known for peace, uh, but that was only within the, like, the, the lines of the empire. So if you, were, if you were inside of Rome, it felt really peaceful for a long time, but outside of Rome, any enemies of Rome, it was probably one of the more bloody times in human history. This is what Rome is doing. They are geographically just huge. They span from modern like Iran and Iraq all the way over to Great Britain, including parts of Northern Africa. So it's this huge, just powerhouse of an empire. And here we have in that big empire, this tiny little town, Colossae. And what Colossae is dealing with is they're planted. We read it in in the text there by this guy named Epaphras. Epaphras. Epaphras got to know Paul through his ministry in Ephesus, which was about a hundred miles away. 
And Epaphras, we don't know, maybe he's from Colossae, maybe he just felt called to go to Colossae, but, but sometime after he had received the gospel under the teaching of Paul, he then goes to Colossae to plant this church here. And so uh, Epaphras comes to Paul, and the impetus of this writing is, his, is him coming to visit Paul and Timothy while they're imprisoned. We don't know where they're imprisoned. It's one of Paul's times in prison, and he sort of is just telling Paul all about this church. He's going, okay, here's, here's some of the things that God's doing. Here's some of the things that are going well, and, and here are some things that I'm concerned about. And so there's a few things happening that are concerning that Paul, you got to notice this, and this will come up again later, but Paul doesn't confront these things directly, but there's, there's some heresy, there's some false teaching that is creeping into the church, and that's the impetus for Paul writing this letter back to the church. So that's kind, of our, that's kind of our setting that we find ourselves in. This town that was really known for like textiles and linens and, and they had had their heyday, but they're now all of a sudden dwindling and, and they're right in the middle of this like this global superpower. Uh, and yet they're kind of off the beaten path and, and their town is slowly kind of whittling away. And, and it, it's not totally Loveland, but doesn't it just kind of feel like Loveland? Any, any kids in the room just be like, why, why don't we show up on the weather map? I've, you know, I'm always just like, it's, okay, Fort Collins right there, but then what's the rain going to be like in Loveland today? Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, okay, we're not, we're not Fort Collins. We're not Denver. We're not, we're not these other places, but here we are, this church, and, and the false teachings that are creeping in, uh, they're not just gone. They're not just gone. I'm not saying that there's false teachings that's invading this church, but I think there's something that we all deal with. The, the main one is Gnosticism. The main one's Gnosticism. And even though Gnosticism as a philosophy isn't actually solidified and defined yet, this letter's written somewhere between 50 and 60 AD. And, and Gnosticism isn't going to come until much later, but it's an early form, the seedlings of Gnosticism. Gnosticism would just be uh, knowledge is everything. Like the way to be saved is through knowledge. Um, you can think of agnostic. The word kind of sounds the same, and it would just be a gnosis. So it's this idea that, okay, maybe God does exist, but I don't know about him. Do you see that? Gnosticism has to do with knowledge, but there's also, there's also this uh, Jewish asceticism that's going on. So the, the Jewish people are sort of, their asceticism is this idea of like, I'm going to deny myself the things that feel good. I'm going to deny myself the things that seem good here on this earth um, so that I can have a closer relationship with Jesus. And this is sort of uh, just Jewish custom, Jewish tradition of uh, this is what you often see in the letter to the Galatian church where, where there's this sort of ritual and ceremony that Jewish people are used to. And they're, and they're doing these things, even though they've received the gospel of Jesus, which means you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. They're still trying to earn their way by doing these different things and trying to earn their way into God's righteous way of uh, his kingdom by the things that they do. And Paul has to just correct it. And he's like, That's, this isn't how it's done. But there's still, it's this creeping into the church kind of mentality where it feels like, okay, wait, uh, we're used to this kind of lifestyle. We got to do these kinds of things so that we might earn God's love for us. But the other, the other thing that's happening is there's there, uh, Colossae's uh, pagan culture. And so there's just some mixed up, messed up pagan worship that they're trying to blend and, and make Christian as well. So you're like, man, that's, that's kind of a weird mix of things going on. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? We're a weird mix of things going on. Like we have, we have these, these worship, like we put so much hope, we put so much trust in different things, whether it's, whether it's the state, whether it's our job, whether it's uh, relationships, where we're putting our trust, putting our hope. Uh, we would never say that we're depending on our salvation, but, but there's this idea that, man, if I can just learn enough knowledge, if I can just stuff my head with all the self-help, I mean, mom's in the room, if I can just read one more parenting book, maybe then I can correct my kid's behavior finally. 
And it's just th- this, this, this kind of roller coaster that we're on of trying to gain all this information more so that we might live the good life, so to speak. And it's just, it's not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's writing in that context, and it feels, even though we don't, we don't have like the same pagan worship, we have, we have worship that's slipping in other areas. And, and the, the problem that the church in Colossae is facing is this, that they're not facing this outright denial of Christ, just like I wouldn't be concerned about anyone in this room facing the outright denial of Christ. But what they are facing, the problem that they are dealing with is dethroning him. The, pro- the problem that they're up against right now is dethroning. And that's the same problem that I think the American church has today, by and large. God, God is doing amazing things all over the globe. And there's a lot of persecution that is harsh right now. It's in India, in places like Iran. Uh, but man, there's also testimonies that the church is just exploding there. Why? Because I, I think there, there's no room for them to confuse. No, Jesus Christ is Lord. And with that statement comes immense persecution from the world around me. And because we have the benefits of not suffering persecution here in America, what it allows us to do is kind of have Jesus as our homeboy, this like side person that we, oh yeah, sure, he's got, he's got some good advice. He's a good teacher. He's got some good ideas. But I also really like, I also really uh, trust in what I'm making financially. I also put a lot of stock in who I am as a, a dad, as a, as a husband. I put a lot of stock over here in other things that aren't him. And so we don't, we don't struggle with this. Like if I were to come and talk to you, I, I don't get worried about like, you're going to somehow deny Jesus all of a sudden in a moment, but I do get concerned with the church, with myself, that, that we've dethroned him at times, that we've taken him out of his throne and we've, and we've put him in more of a sidecar to our life rather than the driver's seat. So like what I want to look at here is just the kind of the, as we walk through this text now that we have sort of the, the context um, is, is go, okay, the first half that we're looking at is really going to be Paul's uh, praise He's praising God for what's happening in the church in Colossae. And then he's going to shift to, in the second half of it, his petition. So he's praising, thanking God for something that's happening. And then he's going, and I want to see this kind of stuff happening all the more. So he starts off by saying in verse three, we always thank God. And I think that just ties back to last week's sermon where where even though he's about to list some really good things and strong things that are happening in the church, he doesn't say, and you guys are doing awesome. And man, I'm just so thankful for you, church. And you, you guys are just doing such a good job. He's like, no, listen, I thank God for whatever he's about to say next. He's, he's thankful for God for the work that he's doing in the church. The attention, the focus of the church, of the people of God should always be our gratitude. First and foremost goes to him. We can be thankful for our moms. We can be thankful for our parents, our friends. We can be thankful for other things in our life. But primarily what our heart should be centered on is gratitude for Jesus and what he's done. And Paul doesn't get this twisted. He, he says, man, we thank God the Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus. And he's about to list off three different things that Paul is thankful for. And the first is their public faith in verse 4. He's like, I've heard of your faith. Now, whether he's heard because Epaphras has come and has told them about their faith, or it's possible that Rome, the church is starting to face some persecution in Rome. And he's like, no, I've heard about you guys. And I just like your life in general, your, the person that you are, the way that you're walking in your workplace, the way that you're walking uh, wherever you're at with your friends, do people know that you're a person of faith? Is your faith public? Because Paul's like, man, I've, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about the faith that you have in Jesus, the hope that you're putting up in heaven, the love that you have for one another. 
He acknowledges that, that man, no, like who you are in Christ is, is known to the people around you. Can that be said for our lives? Does that mark the way that we interact with people at the restaurants that we visit? Does it mark the way that we interact with the cashiers, the tellers at wherever we're checking out for our groceries? Do people understand? And I'm not saying you got to just go wear this I heart Jesus shirt everywhere that you go, but does it, does it, do you look a certain way in the way that you interact with people? The other thing that Paul points out is that they have a love for the church because of the hope you have laid up for heaven. Um, I'm sorry. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that public faith, and of the love that you have for all the saints. And so I don't mean the churches in the building. I don't even know if Colossae had a church building at the time, but there's this love for that they, that they have for the saints. There, uh, this paints this picture of what John writes about where he says, man, they will know that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that we love one another. So there's this, there's this intense and deep agape, right? This self-giving love that exists in the church that has made their faith known to the world around them. And the third thing that he says is, I've no, I, I hear too that you have your hope placed in heaven. You just put, you put your stock. And, and listen, like even as we're coming out of that ministry moment, out of worship, where I'm just like, man, I know there's people who are walking in here today and Mother's Day is a hard day, or maybe it has nothing to do with Mother's Day in general. Life's just hard right now. Life is hard. You're, you're in the middle of it. You're in the midst of it. And, and this verse, I think what it draws us into, what it begs for us to consider is, man, where have I put my hope? If you're constantly just anxious and antsy around the market, that's gonna, I, was sitting down, I was sitting down with a friend this week having coffee and he is, he's selling lumber. Any, anyone who knows what's going on with lumber is just like, okay, okay, you're talking to me. Uh, but he's like, man, the industry in itself is just incredibly volatile right now. It feels like we're just about to pop. And a lot of you who are in construction, you understand that it's like, man, it's not a good thing that lumber costs this much money. And it seems like everything's about to come to this grinding halt. And he's like, and I don't even know what my job's going to look like in a year because of what's going on with this market. And he sat there and he said, and I'm like, man, how, like, how are you feeling about that? About to have a kid. And it's like, oh my gosh, and you're maybe going to lose. Your, you don't know how secure your job is for the next year. And he just looks at me and he goes, God's got it. God's got it. His, his hope is not in his job. His hope is not in his health. His hope is not in whatever's going on around him. And your hope, as it should be too, it should not be in whatever's going on, good or bad in your marriage, good or bad with your kids. Your hope needs to be placed firmly, fixed in heaven. Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is reigning and ruling. Jesus has promised to remake the world that we're living in, in remade bodies, renewed bodies, and he's going to breathe new life into us. Like that is all something that's secure, finally, forever, and fully. We don't have to place our hope here. So this body is going to fail me. My job is probably going to fail me at a certain time. Your relationships might fail you at a certain time. Your hope is not placed here. Your hope should be in heaven. As we keep reading, verse 5 and verse 6 says, Because of the hope laid up for heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing I love, Paul, I love Paul's encouragement to the church in this moment where he says, listen, the gospel, when it goes forth, it always has the potential to bring the kingdom of God where it goes whenever it's shared. This is, this is critical. That I, I really just hope that you'd grab this this morning. Paul's saying, man, this is a, this is a global 
movement that's happening. There are things going on with the gospel all over the world that we just can't, in our isolated little towns, we can't always understand it or see it. I, I, I bumped into Aaron Lucas, who's the pastor over at City Point this last week, and I talked with Jonathan Wiggins, who's the pastor over at Res a couple weeks before that, and both of them, just talking with them, they're pastoring these churches in this city, and, and they're just going, man, God is doing something right now. Like we just have more people coming than ever before. Like there's, there's a stirring right now. People are hungry. People are craving the word, craving the presence of God. God's pouring out right now. And, and here, like that's happening all over the world. You might not flip that on in the news and see it. You might not flip that on and see it on your social media feed, but God is moving. God is doing things. When the gospel goes forward, it lands on different soils. We'll talk about that in just a sec, but man, it's gonna bear fruit. There's gonna be fruitfulness that comes from that. We just need to share it. So it's, it's fascinating that this, this town, Colossae, finds itself situated in Rome, which I, if you would have asked the Colossians at this point, hey, uh, where do you think Rome's going in the next few years? They would have been like, Rome's going nowhere but up, bro. Like Rome is, Rome is a superpower right now. They're on top. And yet what we know is the gospel and the church is something that we participate in actively right now. Rome is something we study historically. So even though the empire of Rome looks so strong and so big and so grandiose, you, you can pay money to walk through the ruins at this point. That's not true of the church. The church is moving. The church is active. The church is growing. The gospel, the kingdom are bearing fruit in the world that we're living in currently actively 2,000 years after this letter was written. Let that encourage you this morning. And, and so Matthew 13, 23, Jesus is explaining the parable of the soils. And I want, I want this to be the point that really lands because he's explaining, you know, he's doing this Jesus move where he gives a parable and the disciples are probably in that moment. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, it's good. You know, they're shouting him down. Amen. Jesus so good. So good. And then later they're like, hey, so huh? You know, like, right. You catch that when he tells parables, they're like, oh, that was so, that was a good word. Jesus. Amen. That was so good. And then they pull him aside later and they're like, so what did that mean? <laughs> like, could you tell us? Could you explain to us what that meant? And Jesus is like, here's what the parable meant. So if you remember the parable, there's a, there's a sower, someone sowing seeds and the seed lands on four different kinds of soil. One seed lands on the path and the birds snatch it right away. And Jesus explains that's the enemy. And it doesn't, it lands on a hardened heart and it doesn't even get a chance to sink in and to settle and to grow anything. And the devil just kind of snatches it away. And the second one is, is the seed that lands in rocky soil. And the rocks, or I'm sorry, no, it lands in, it lands in shallow soil. And, the, and so the plant bursts up right away. And it's like they receive the word of God with joy. They receive the news of the kingdom with great joy. And it bursted forth. But because the roots never took root, they never went down and grabbed anything, the sun came and scorched it. And it was the trials of life and the hardships of life just withered this plant away. The third soil is this rocky soil. The rocky soil wasn't, wasn't actually anything that, that people were doing to you. It was, it was something that was within the soil of your own heart, these rocks, this love for the things of this world. And because you fell so in love with the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting it all mixed up now. No, no, no. The third soil is the weeds. Thank you, PK. He didn't even say anything. He just like, he just, he knows me. He gets me and he's back there going, you don't, you don't got it right. Thank you. Um, the third soil is this wheat, these weedy soils. And, and, and that, that weeds are not, they're not, the, they're not the different circumstances in your life. They're not the trials, the hardships you go through. The weeds are in your own heart, this love that you have for other things. And the weeds, like, you know, anyone's lawn right now, our lawns are just coming back to life. And as the lawn comes back to life, what else comes back to life? The dandelions. They're like right there growing up. And at first it all looks good. You're like, man, my lawn's greening up real nice. And all of a sudden I'm like, there, man, get, where's the fertilizer? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's get this taken care of. And this is, 
This, the third soil, it's not, like I said, it's not anything that anyone does to you. It's something that exists in your own heart that's creating this, this blockage for the word of God to grow in you actively. And the fourth soil, God says, is this good, ripe soil. Jesus explains it's the soil that's ready to receive it. And he says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it in one case, a hundredfold, another 60 and another 30. So in other words, what God's saying is there's going to be soil that this lands on that's ready to receive the word of God, and it's going to grow exponentially. And that, that fruitfulness is going to be hard to even measure. I just, I think of Pastor Brian, who was our youth pastor here several years ago, and he was actually my youth pastor when I was in high school. And, and if you knew me in high school, I was just talking to some people that are like, man, are you sure? Like it, Austin, Austin from Mountain View High School, he's the pastor of Good Shepherd. And it's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, join the club of which I am the president. Okay. <laughs> Brian was sowing seeds into me. So hear this. He, he didn't know. He just has students in his youth group. He's just sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds, preach the gospel, preach the kingdom, let them know what the good news is. And he doesn't know, meanwhile, that is one day going to take hold of my heart and it's going to branch and it's going to bud and it's going to bear fruit that I'm now able to now sow into other people. It's this amazing process. Paul probably didn't know with Epaphras when he first met him that Epaphras was going to go and he was going to plant this church in Colossae and the church in Colossae was going to make all these other believers. Do you see how the fruit and the seeds just passed down the line? And so the, the charge then for, I think, us is to consider, like, you never know who you're sowing into. Our job is just to spread the seeds. We don't, we're not responsible for the fruit part. God bears the fruits. God's Spirit brings the fruit inside of you. It's the Spirit's work in us that bears fruit. Our job is just to preach the gospel. And that's why uh, that slide, the gospel is, is powerful. It is, it's full of potential, but only when it's shared. Only when it's given and if you just live your whole life and it's closed up and I never let anyone know, but, but what Paul encourages here to the church, he says, man, I'm praying for you. I see these good things in you. And I'm just reminding you, it was the gospel that brought you here. And so keep it up. The gospel is doing things all around the world. We shift gears then in verse nine, and I'm going to read this passage again, uh, just so we would see it again. But this is where Paul begins to shift from, from this praise, thanking God to the good things that are happening in the church. Now he goes to petition. So God, I'm thankful that you're doing all this work in this church, but now I'm asking that you would do this all the more. So let's read starting in verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We being him and Timothy, they're in prison together, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I would argue this all happens in a process, and it's not just like a circle that you go around one time, but it's, ever, it's rather this like ever-increasing spiral that we walk on as Christians. And it starts with this, this heart posture of gratitude, going, God, you have saved me. God, like I've been given life. I've been graciously, when, he, when Paul opens up this letter, he says, grace to you and peace to you. He often opens his letters up that way because grace is the beginning of our Christian journey and peace is the end of it. 
So it's, it's the alpha and the omega, grace and peace. Grace, this like God has given me something that I did not deserve, that I could not earn. He just freely bestowed upon me his son's righteousness. I only have to choose to accept it and, and believe in it by faith. And that's grace. Is this the beginning of the relationship? Peace then is what happens in my soul. And it's not peace to just say, oh, I don't have a busy to-do list today. I have a peaceful Saturday. That's not what peace is. Peace is this, oh my gosh, my heart and my soul have been reconciled to my maker. I have peace knowing that my sins have been paid for. I have peace knowing that I have a purpose here on this earth. I have peace with the God who made me. Grace and peace. And he starts giving thanks for this grace and peace that we've been given. Grace and peace that we would understand. And then he moves, he shifts into then all spiritual understanding. So he starts with going, okay, You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been saved by this gospel. And now what he's asking for is he's asking for a filling. He's asking for a filling of knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is something that we don't just get once. It's not just a one-time event. It's like, okay, I'm full. No, but like every week we're coming in here trying to get filled up. Hopefully you are on your own every week trying to get filled up, not asking just for more knowledge like a Gnostic would say, but no, give me all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love that he says, give me knowledge and spiritual wisdom. Knowledge would just be, man, help me God see the world the way that you see it. Help me know the things that you know. But then wisdom would be now help me apply the knowledge that you've given me. That's what makes knowledge and wisdom different. Knowledge is just things that I fill up in my brain tank. Wisdom is actually me taking my brain and putting it into practice in the life that I'm living. And so he's asking for both. He's saying, man, build yourself up. I'm asking that you be filled with this so that you may walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So notice how it starts with grace. It then moves into filling. It then moves into walking in a certain way. That we'd actually live our life out the way that God has made us to walk. That he would walk in an obedience, in a holiness. And this holiness is not that I'm perfect, but that I would be set apart in the world that I'm living in. That I would walk in this manner that's pleasing to the Lord, and that I would bear fruit then in every season. Bearing fruit in every season is what God is looking for. He's looking for a fruitfulness in your life. And that fruit is not going to be found in you just kind of white-knuckling your way and like, I'm just going to be more loving. Oh, like it just doesn't work for us, does it? Man, and people are testing that these days, are they not? But God's saying, I'm trying to put a spiritual fruit in you, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, that as we, as we embrace this grace that he's given to us, as we, as we then are filled with a greater revelation of who he is, and as we begin to walk out, we just begin to see the fruitfulness of what he's going to do in our life. And then he brings that fruitfulness back around and says, then I pray that you'd be strengthened in him. This book, as we go through Colossians, uh, I think it's going to be strengthening for us because what God's going to do is he's going to, um, he's going to just show us how big and awesome Jesus is. If you were to just like caption the book of Colossians, it would just be Jesus over everything. Jesus before everything. Jesus in everything. By all things, Jesus. And so this is, this is super fascinating. For parents in the room, uh, this, this probably got me. For moms in the room, this maybe help you this week. But like Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't correct the false teaching by writing a whole book about the things that the Colossian church are doing wrong. Do you notice this? What we're going to see in the next few weeks is what Paul does instead is he writes a whole book about how awesome Jesus is. And so like in, in my own parenting, in your parenting, in the way that you're dealing with your spouse and the way that you're dealing with a coworker, if you are trying to micromanage the people in your life's problems, you're doing it wrong. You're, our call, our role is to not micromanage the problems that we're seeing, but rather to magnify Jesus in us. 
That we just not like, listen, I, what my kids need more than anything else, they don't need me to just keep correcting about where their backpack goes when they get home from work, where to put their shoes when they get home from school, when I get home from work, when they get home from school. And they, they don't need me just to, hey, be kind to your brother, be kind to your sister, do this, do that. What they need is they need to see Jesus in me. I need to magnify the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. I need to, I need to make sure they see me in the word. They see me in worship. They see me pressing into my faith. You, like, so much of Christianity has been people complaining about how the church has tried to micromanage other people's problems. And I think to some extent, the world's been right. And the church has focused so much on other people's problems rather than just focus themselves up on Jesus and make much of him. And this is what, like, this is, this is the intro this week. And next week, we're going to look at this poem that Paul writes where he just goes, look, look at Jesus. Look at all that he is. Look at, consider his preeminence. I love that word. It's not just he's first, he's most. He's most valuable. He's the beginning of all things. That's all next week. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Stick to one sermon at a time. (laughs) But what's going to happen, hopefully, is that we're strengthened, not just in our own strength, but we're strengthened in him. We're strengthened in him. As we make much of Jesus, we're receiving the strength that he is for us. And that's, that's really the invitation that's before us today. We're going to take communion. And I think as we come to communion, we're reminded just of what Jesus has done for us. But it's not just something we do to be reminded of. It's something we come to as we take communion to experience his goodness and the reality of who he is right now. And so I just, I want to put up uh, Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. Everyone knows, everyone knows, probably a lot of people know, the beginning of Psalm 23 starts like, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I think this is really, this could almost be Paul's tagline for the book of Colossians is Jesus is my everything. Like if I have him, I've got it all. If I try to add things to him, I don't have it. I'm I'm missing it all. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. But then he says this, I shall prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's prepared this table, the communion table, by, by breaking his body, by spilling his blood, by going to the cross. He's prepared this place for you to encounter him that even though you might walk around with a lot of things that are on fire in your life right now, a lot of things that might be just crumbling, a lot of things that might be going wrong, a lot of things that might be making you nervous, these enemies that we all have, God's prepared a table for us to encounter him. And so he closes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Communion shouldn't just be this moment where we experience Jesus right now. It should also tie us to the coming age that he's going to one day usher in. And so as we approach the communion table, I, I want to put these five prayers up. I think this is things that you can, I think these are things that you can pray for while you're in communion. Have your own prayer time, pray for the things that are going on. But this is a guide maybe for those of you who are like, I don't really know what to pray for while we're taking communion. Um, I pray that you would not just pray this stuff now, but that you'd take it with you for your week. That we pray for a heart of gratitude. It's almost, I think it should be almost impossible for the believer to approach the communion table without a heart of gratitude going, wow, this, this is not just bread and juice. This is a representation of what my Savior poured out for me. It was a remind, it's a reminder of the cost of what my sin was, but how loving he was to pay that penalty for me, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we come to the communion table, we go, okay, God, would you just, would you just fill me? If there's more to you, I want more. If there's more power, if there's more revelation, if there's more things that I don't understand, the more perspective that you have for my life, God, would you give it to me? This like humble and contrite spirit that we would have this, we'd come and we'd ask God, I'm so small and you're so big. Would you fill me up? For some of you, I think that the prayer would probably be to walk in a worthy manner. 
where you have some things going on in your life where you know it's just, man, I'm not quite living this out right. And the beauty of the communion table is it's this invitation to come and consider the cross. And as we consider the cross, I think we also ought to consider why the cross had to happen. And if we're still living and if we're still toying with sin in our life, man, we need to repent. It's an invitation. It's not a, a word spoken of condemnation, but they would actually turn and go, okay, that is, that's not the direction that I'm supposed to be living right now. We'd be filled with strength and patience and endurance. And I love the phrase that Paul writes in there, with joy. Sometimes it's easy to be strong. It's easy to be patient. It's easy to be enduring of different things. Man, how many of y'all know it is hard to do it with joy? Can we be honest today? We'd actually be willing to press in and endure the things that we're enduring with joy. Would God meet us in that and help us with that? And then fifth, I think the thing that we can pray for is that God would be glorified through us. That's, it's why we exist. So that the, the creator God of the universe might be reflected through me. And so let's come as your heart is ready and let's commune. And then I'll close this out in prayer in just a few minutes. Come to the table as soon as your heart's ready. I know some of you just grabbed your seat, but if you're ready, would you stand and pray with me? We're not quite ready yet. There's no rush. Take your time. I'm going to pray. God, we just ask that you would move in us and through us through this series. God, as we come and we consider your word, as we contemplate these words that were written a couple thousand years ago, would you help us see the value and the worth they have in our life today? Would we make much of your name in this series, God? Would we just see to it that you do the things that you want to do in our hearts, in our lives, that we would magnify and glorify your name in the world that we're living in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, God bless you. We love you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.